Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Kareem Kanji. I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. And right off the top, uh, if you don't subscribe to this podcast, please do check us out. Welcome with Kareem Kanji on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, and if you can live a ra- leave a rating and a review that would really, really help us become discovered by more and more people. And we're uh, we're hoping that more and more people will come by the podcast, subscribe and listen, and listen to some amazing stories by some amazing people. Today's episode, I have a chance to speak with author and former three-time Olympian, five-time world champion, and former goaltender for one of the top hockey teams ever, Sammy Joe Small. The name of her book is The Role I Played, Canada's Greatest Olympic Hockey Team. And it's a very interesting inside look at Team Canada, inside look at women's hockey, an inside look at how society treats women's athletes versus male athletes. Um, Sammy Jo Small uh, played on three Olympic teams. Two of them won gold. One of them won silver. But as she tells in the book, she never received two of those medals because she was a third string goalie. Uh, so I highly encourage you to read this book and learn more about that. But this book is phenomenal. Um, and my conversation was so much fun. Sammy Joe was just amazing to speak with. She was very generous with her time, uh, very generous with uh, her insights. And so here it is, my conversation with former Olympian, world champion, Sammy Joe Small. Sammy Joe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Kareem. I really appreciate it. No worries. Um, so you're releasing a book during COVID. <laughs> not, not. I, I guess not what you wanted, not what you expected. For uh, sure, yeah. The whole publishing industry was so different than I ever expected. I actually started writing this book 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, we can get into sort of the ups and downs in there. Uh, I had a daughter uh, and got immersed in being a, a mother. Um, but uh, when I signed the deal with ECW Press, it was in, I guess, October of last year. So they, once you sign the deal with a publishing house, you just kind of get into the funnel and you kind of yeah. get moved along with books behind you, books in front of you. So I feel like for me, it actually has been really great because I can do a book tour almost virtually. I don't have to travel as much. Um, Mm -hmm. And the publishing world has sort of figured it out at this point. And so have people how to, how to be there virtually, how to interact. I feel terrible for the authors that their release date was say the end of March, you know, then it's like you're scrambling, you're trying to figure things out. Um, But now I feel like, people have taken to reading they um you know are 
probably buying more books than they they would have mm -hmm. normally because they have more time. That's right. And um, yeah, more time to for me also to sort of focus on this because there hasn't been too much else going on. I work as a professional speaker, so most events at this point have been postponed or canceled and yeah, um, yeah way more time than I would have normally had, I guess. Nice. nice. Was, mm -hmm. was there a thought of postponing the release and adding some some stuff to the book or so no that's what in sort of in the publishing funnel you get in there and you know i had asked uh if that was a possibility and they said if you if you would like that then we can release your book a year from now a year <laughs> thought, from now <laughs> right i was like oh okay so then you get back into the funnel you go to the back of the line and then you move all the way forward so ah. um there was that I thought, you know, he would give me a couple more weeks, but no, that's, uh, that's, that's not like really, a year. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can do this next year if you want. Um, so, I mean, they were, they would have been very supportive, but, and maybe some authors chose to do it that way. Um, yeah. but for me, it had just, uh, sort of been within my possession for such a long time that I, I wanted to get it out to other people and off my shelf. Yeah, totally get it. Especially since you've been writing this i know not constantly but working on it for a decade now it's like okay, for sure and i can always make know. changes that's the thing that it's like a piece of you know artwork um that you look at it and like i i love painting but i can't have my own paintings in the house because i would always want to change it or i see the mistakes and that's what i you know, when i look at the manuscript every time i would open it up i would make all these changes and so I think my editor finally was like, okay, let's enough. just move this through and it's, it's good enough. You know, like people are not going to know the nuances that you know. So. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. Is that, is that your painting over your, your shoulder there? Or oh, that... no, this uh, elephant yeah. here actually was a, um, a thank you gift at one of the speeches I gave. Wow. Mm -hmm. Which is very cool. cool. And then the one above it, do you see that one right there? That one is, um, Okay. It's kind of a landscape, but it's made yeah. uh, from hockey equipment. So it's a friend of oh. mine, Liz Peed, who is a, um, a renowned artist here in the GTA, uh, has done some large installations. This was just a little thank you gift that she gave me for coming to my goalie school. But so the clouds are like broken helmets really? and okay. the, tr the trees are like cut up pants. Yeah, it's really cool. It's you don't see it until you're like really close. Well, that's really neat. Anyway, so yeah, I do love I do love art. Yeah, perfect. Um, outside of doing things virtually for the past six months, um, how have you, you and the family doing good with, with COVID-19 as best you can? For sure, as best you can. Uh, we have a four-year-old who's in um, SK, senior kindergarten right now, um, okay. and had a runny nose last week. So, sure. you know, runny nose just throws everything into, yeah. So her little friend was homesick from school. So then we kept... Um, I mean, and they're four, so you can't prevent them from licking each other, which is what no, I'm sure happened. <laughs> um, so anyways, she's totally fine. Her little friend had the COVID test and they're fine. Um, but it just means until her nose is not running, we're homeschooling again. So it, you know, the hiccups that I think most parents have been going through is what we've been going through. Uh, my husband is also a sledge hockey player for Canada. Yeah, yeah. And so training has been, you know, ups and downs with that trying to find uh, just recently, they've just gotten back on the ice, but trying to find activities that keep you engaged. Um, I mean, he loves hockey, but sure. nobody loves training that much day after day after day. So 
without being able to get out of the house, I think it's been tough on him. And mm -hmm. they have their first training camp this week, uh, which okay. is really exciting. But our daughter has a runny nose, so he can't attend. You know, it's, oh, yeah, it, yes. you want to keep everybody healthy and safe. And That's right. for a lot of the guys on the, his team, they've overcome cancer. They've, you know, there's bigger issues. Um, yeah. So you can't put yourself in that situation. And not that it's going to be a detriment. You just don't want these people to then have a runny nose in public. Um, yes. And everybody then assumes you have something. So everyone gets, yeah. Is exactly. This, so mm -hmm. as I was reading uh, your book yesterday, um, you had, I guess not similar, but was there a world championship that got canceled because of SARS? That's correct. Yeah. In 2003. So we went through, it's funny, I was editing that chapter when uh, the quote unquote uh, beginning of the pandemic hit Canada. And I say quote unquote, because I think, you know, it uh, had been going on overseas sure. and, but that's really when Canada shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and there was so many similarities uh, as an athlete at the time, you know, being angry at these decisions being made, just wanting to go over, just wanting to play, not really understanding the bigger picture. And um, it was almost like history repeating itself. And I think because I had gone through that, I could help my husband in the situation that we were in to, um, you know, to, to be okay with feeling that sense of loss. And mm -hmm. I shared that with the other, with the current hockey team as well, that you have to, you have to acknowledge what's happening. And I think more than just hockey for everybody, this is an important message that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling, whatever that is, and to acknowledge it because we, we can't move past it. I think until you are either sad or you're mad or you're angry or mm -hmm. uh, you're hurt, you're depressed, whatever the situation is, I think that you have to acknowledge it and talk about it um, in order to kind of move forward. And uh, in 2003, when we went through it, we had some real rifts on the team. Some people were super scared, didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. Others were, you know, just so steadfast in their hockey drive. And for me, I felt like this was like I was at the height of my performance. And so I wanted to go and show that I could play. And sure. that's all that mattered. You know, I yeah. wasn't thinking about the larger grand scheme of it. Um, but looking back at it now, it showed a lot of similarities in a very small way. This is a much different scenario now for it the is. athletes that have been going through this for months and months. We just had to deal with it for a little bit. Yeah, I remember back March, April, there was talk of, will the Olympics be canceled? Will it not be canceled? And then canceling it or I think a, a number of countries first said we're not going and then it finally all got canceled and mm -hmm. there was that that whole discussion and now it's like that seems like so long ago but it's like yeah of course you, you, you cancel right it's it's like <laughs> right you're yeah in it versus in hindsight well and i think you don't know really the bigger picture as an athlete you just really have to listen yes. to the world health organization i know that Leading up to the Brazil Olympics, I don't know if you remember the Zika virus. That was like a huge thing. And a lot of athletes chose to not go. And those are, you know, I, I don't say a lot of athletes, 10% of athletes. Um, you know, they might have had pregnant wives at home or, you know, uh, outstanding circumstances. Um, and those athletes didn't get to compete. They missed out on their the four-year cycle. And, yeah. um, you know, that's not often talked about, that loss and that hurt and that difficult decision they had to make then. So I'm glad that they didn't put the athletes in this this position now with the Olympics, having to make that decision. I mean, that's the hardest thing is that, you know, do you sacrifice your life or other people's lives for this moment that you've been 
gearing up your, your entire life for. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you become an elite athlete unless you want to be in that, that moment so desperately. Yeah. But there needs to be somebody bigger than yourself making those decisions. I don't think it should be up to the athlete because most athletes would still do it. Yes. Um, we're crazy that way. Because you're used to the sac you're used to sacrifice, right? Totally. Yeah. And you're used to having these blinders on that you just are not focused on the outside circumstances. You just go and you do it. And um, that's why I'm, I'm proud of what the NHL has done because they've created a bubble that yes. ha has not allowed for any transgressions. You know, it's, um, they just have created a situation that, um, that has made it good for the players. While it's terrible for the players' families and all of mm. that to have them away, um, you, have to, you have to create the construct and the infrastructure so that they can't fail. Um, because we as athletes, we, we will fail. <laughs> um sammy as i before i started reading your book i said okay first question i'm going to ask her is what's up with the title and then as i started reading it i go oh i get it now and then i started thinking because you talk about it, it was a 10-year journey i started thinking what was the book she wanted to write like when did you so I've got a couple of questions. Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. And I don't know which one is first, so you can answer them in any, okay. any 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 order you want to. But number one, when did you start writing it, and what was the book supposed to be, and was it hard writing it for yourself mm -hmm. to go through all of that? For sure. So two separate questions, and maybe yeah. I'll get back to was it hard. Um, I'll start with the first one. So. The real reason that I started writing the book was as a professional speaker, most speakers have books. That's just sort of the next level. I had earned my certified speaking professional designation. This was my full-time job. It was mm. just kind of a natural next step. So that's what my speaker friends do. So that's what I was going to do was I was just going to have it as a back of the room sales, self-publish, um, something for people in the audience to take home. They spend 20 bucks, they can leave with it. And they get a little bit of a deeper dive into the story that I just told on the stage. That was sort of the crux in the beginning. But as I was writing it, I realized that this story and these stories are, are not just about me, that they're about so many of my teammates and that this was a story that was bigger than just me and just the platform mm -hmm. that I had on the stage. And I, didn't want to do any injustices to my teammates and i felt like if i just did a quick write of it and i just had it as a back of the room sales book that um that history would be lost and i think that this history is so important in our society today because this is a 10-year gap of women's sport really you know it might be about hockey, but it really is about women's sport in general. Uh, sure. Where did these women co come from? What was their, what were their lives like? Um, what were they doing to be able to pursue sport at the highest level? And so I felt like I ultimately, I had all these stories about these amazing women. Um, and in a way I felt like a bit of a, a caretaker of the history. Like it was okay. up to me to share this and, um, so uh, the first write, when I look back at it now, was ter was terrible. <laughs> Let's be honest, I didn't know how to write. I was a engineer by trade. It was very technical. It was just kind of, you know, game synopsis and whatever. Yeah. Um, but when I was on the national team, I did take, I wrote a lot of diaries. Um, I took a lot of uh, 
sort of notes, but I also, our team was uh, forced to do logbooks. So every day you had to, you know, write what you, what you ate, how you slept, um, what your workout was like. So that was also beneficial because in those um, logbooks I had written, and I don't know if this is just a goalie thing, but I, I wrote every single goal and how it went in and what I could have done differently. Yeah. Um, you know, in a way to allow me to uh, get better, but also looking back at it, I see a lot of, you know, angst or frustration on a certain goal, or maybe I was okay with it, it was a great shot. And that really gave a lot of color to the situation. Um, and there was a lot of game tape that my mom had taped on VHS video. So I didn't have a VHS player, but um, so I had to transfer it all and then rewatch the game tape. So in the meantime, I also took some writing courses and um, tried to really put myself in the situation so that the reader felt like they were going through it with me and not just telling the reader what to think or mm. who these people were. So I try not to pass any judgment on what you should feel or what you should think, because everybody will be in a different space. Um, but I wanted to put myself in the situation so you knew what was going on around me, um, who were the influences, um, who were these women, uh, and what really were their personalities. And so, while it, it is not a story about them per se, it is about the amazing influence that they had on my life and sort of are in our team as we went forward. So. The second question, was it hard to write? Once I wrote from that perspective in that moment, yeah. um, some of the stuff was really hard to write. And I would go to bed like angry and mad all over again. Like I had just been either cut or I had just been pulled from a game. And my poor husband had to, had to deal with that. Like I'd be cooking supper and I'd just be like angry at like <laughs> certain coaches or and this is like 20 years later. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think he just kind of, brushed it aside to be like, you know, what, what game are you writing about today? Or, um, but it is, and it was hard even every time I'd go back and edit certain games, I would still be mad later, you know? And so it's been very cathartic for me. I think had I not written it all and not gotten through it all so many times and now even reading it out loud to people, um, it's, it's made me uh, more at peace with the decisions and why the decisions were made. And, and really ultimately the role that I played and ultimately just being proud of the situation that I was uh, fortunate to be in, but also of the influence that I could have in those moments. Wow. Why did you choose to be a goalie? I know you played hockey because of your brother, mm -hmm. um, but why goalie? So I just, I really liked I mean, ultimately, I just really like the equipment. I would watch Hockey Night in Canada, and it just looks so cool. Like, these guys just look like uh, warriors. I don't know. It was awesome. I used to sit in front of Hockey Night in Canada, and I would have, um, I would, like, draw pictures of the goalies as they were playing um, in my youth. And so I always kind of gravitated towards goaltending when we we're playing street hockey. Um, I just really liked it. Uh, my brother tried a year of goaltending when he was nine years old. So that was sort of the family tradition is I wasn't allowed to actually become a goalie until I was nine. So I tried it when I was nine and my parents said, you know, once you try it at the beginning, you have to, you have to do it for the entire season. So my brother tried it for at the beginning of the season and he hated it and he had to like last through the entire season. So he was the kind of goalie that would be like a Ron Hextall and come out and just smash you because he'd be angry <laughs> at letting a goal in. Um, 
but when I tried it, I just loved it. I loved being sort of an Boys hockey, um, while initially I gravitated to goaltending because of what it was, I think I stuck with goaltending because of um, it allowed me to play at the highest level. And had I been a forward um, right away when I was 10 in, in Winnipeg, we had checking right away. And so I'm not sure that I would have lasted very long as a female uh, playing in the AAA boys loop um, back in the day. But as a goaltender, you could... Um, you could just kind of be in your net and not have to really worry about that. Uh, so a lot of my generation of women, uh, there's a lot of very strong goaltenders because we were kind of all forced into that situation. It's like, okay, if you want to play with the guys, like, yeah, you can be the goalie so you don't get hit as often. Mm -hmm. so. I've been told, you know, whether it's a, a goalie in hockey or the, uh, the back catcher in baseball, that you, you guys are a special breed. <laughs> Of, of people you know I, I don't know what it is I don't know you, you also, see, yeah. a lot of catchers become managers um there's something about being a goalie whether it's what you see whether it's all the time you get to think of the plays on the other end um tell tell me about those those minutes that turn into hours and days and so on where you are literally playing a team sport but you're all alone yeah great question I mean I I run an all-girls goalie school um, in Oakville, and so we have 60 girl goalies at this camp every summer. And it's amazing to see um, the two ends of the spectrum. So you have probably 20% of the kids that are super outgoing. They are like the crazy ones, the ones that you would deem to be goalies, um, running around all over the place. Uh, you know, the coach or the parents have stuck them in net because it like gets them away, gives them something to do the whole time. So you have that end of the spectrum, and then you have the other 20% at the other end of the spectrum who are shy, introverted, uh, very pensive. Um, they're perhaps the ones that before a game, um, nobody talks to. Uh, they you know, have their, their elbows on their pads and they're um, not really involved in the game. So you have um, Kudobin on one side, and then you maybe have like a Carey Price on the other side. Uh, but then you have this group in the middle of all types of personalities that, um, you know, are what I deem to be sort of the normal uh, person yeah. uh, and have all these different reasons for, for coming to the, to the, to goaltending. But what I find so fascinating about the camp is that it's a chance for them to see each other for the first mm -hmm. time, because even when you have a goalie partner on your team, they're in the other net. And I talk a lot about that in the book that, you know, Kim St. Pierre, who uh, was a goalie partner of mine for such a long time, while I now probably know her way better because of our conversations around the book and around alumni stuff than I ever did on the team. Because, you know, you come into the circle and you're, you tap the goalie on the pads for doing a, a good job or, um, uh, you know, you might see them in the dressing room, but the coaches never sit the two goalies beside each other. They're usually flanked within the dressing room in the big stalls. That tends to be where the goalies sit. Um, and they, not that we were not friends. I mean, I had utmost respect for her, but we weren't in the same social circles. Um, and 
during practice were doing different things. I mean, you can't even really watch the other goalie because you're doing your own practice in your own end. They're coming down on you. And so you're rarely getting to see even what the other goalie is doing. Um, and so this goalie camp is really special for that because now they're starting to share those emotions with each other. They're starting to see each other as uh, kindred spirits. And um, it's really amazing to see these lifelong friendships develop from the love of goaltending. Um, and I, you know, I have said to, to Kim since the start of the book that, you know, it's too bad um, that we were often pitted against each other because I think we would have been really great friends and we can now develop that friendship. But it yeah. was something that, you know, you're always competing. You always okay. want what that other goalie has. Uh, whereas at a camp, nobody worries about that. You can just be goalies. Yeah, I can imagine. And so how long did you play hockey until because you went to Stanford on a track and field scholarship mm -hmm. uh, shot put javelin is that is that right a uh, discus and javelin discus mm -hmm. and javelin um yeah so how how long did you did you play hockey until, I know you did volleyball as well uh but how long was it hockey until you sort of said okay I need to focus on other things or were you always yeah so hockey? I always played hockey um it was probably you know, I, I played a ton of different sports and that was the one thing in our household that our parents uh, were not really hockey people. They, um, you know, had, they weren't, they didn't grow up as uh, athletes necessarily themselves. Uh, well, they were fit and active. They weren't necessarily involved in minor sports. So they just exposed us to a ton of different stuff. So we played a lot of different sports and I mean, I loved hockey. Um, I dreamt of playing in the NHL, but I, I soon realized that that wasn't going to be really a, an aspiration that would be possible mm -hmm. and we didn't have a national team it wasn't an olympic sport so it wasn't something that i really aspired to going to the olympics but i did dream about going to the olympics um it just in my mind was going to be the summer olympic games um because it, women's hockey was not an olympic sport so you know i continued to play boys triple a all the way through and when a lot of my teammates went on to play in the junior ranks, I went away to college. Um, and I was just fortunate that at Stanford, they had a men's hockey team where I could play. And, um, you know, just for me, it was my solace away from being uh, studying engineering whilst being a full-time track and field athlete on scholarship. There's a ton of pressure, obviously, to perform. Whereas when I went to the hockey rink, I could just be me. I could just play and our practices were late at night. So nobody really even knew I was playing. It was just something that um, I could get away from it all basically. And, yeah. um, yeah, just enjoy it. So I kind of kept playing the whole time, um, and never really gave it up, but had different, I guess, aspirations throughout my hockey career as to why I was playing it. But even now retired from the women's professional ranks, I, I still play recreational hockey and, um, I still really love it. Like I get on the ice and I just, for that hour, I forget about everything else that's going on in the world. And I just, I play and I play now as a forward. So I'm terrible. But I play in a women's rec league as a forward and I'm terrible, but, um, but I love it. I feel like a little kid in a candy store every time I step on the ice, not a middle-aged woman. So it's, <laughs> that's what sport can do for us. Wow. So you, you still love the game. Um, did you, through all of the ups and downs, especially in your, um, I guess, Team Canada career, Mm -hmm. um, was was there you know when things were high did you love it and when things were for you personally low 
Did you hate it? I'm curious about if you if you always had if you had a love hate relationship with the sport while you were actually playing. I don't think so. I think I had been taught from a young age um, to stay relatively even keeled, and I think that that was one of my strengths as a goaltender as well was you know staying in the moment and trying to stay relatively even keeled about um, the pursuit. Uh, but also my family uh, was such that, you know, we had to do well in school in order to play sports. So sports was um, like the uh, cherry on top. It was like the exciting reward that you got. Um, and anytime that sport uh, made me mad or upset or I was, you know, angry at it, you know, I, my parents were constantly like, we well, don't have to do it. Like, we'll take you out of it if you're going to be this way. So I had to really learn to deal with those emotions, uh, deal with the ups and downs. I also played so many different sports that, you know, say I had lost a volleyball game and it, it was a terrible game. I'm moving on to the next water polo game and I'm moving on to the next practice and I'm moving. So I didn't really have too much time to dwell on setbacks. Um, and I think that that served me well later in life uh, as a goaltender. So, um, you know, I, Parents always ask me, you know, what, what can I do? What makes a great goaltender? You know, how can I tell if my, my kid is going to, um, you know, pursue this? And the mark of a great goaltender, to me, is the ability to deal with failure, is the ability to overcome uh, what is perceived as either an injustice or um, a failure on your part and move on to the next shot. And that's not easy. And I tell little kids, you know, I've let in millions of in my life and you always have to move on that doesn't mean that you can't feel those emotions but as soon as that puck drops at center ice you need you need to want to stop that next puck and you can deal with those emotions later so that's why I would use the journals to write down basically every goal that was scored on me um, in those journals so that I could uh, sort of park it and put it aside and uh, move on with how I was going to improve uh, rather than lingering too long in the feelings. And I think I tried to do that in the book too, is that I share with the reader what it's like to feel these emotions. Mm -hmm. um, but in feeling these emotions, that's the first step to moving on to the next, um, to the next stage. And I don't think that whether it's hockey or sport or life in general, we need to allow ourselves to feel these emotions um, and be okay with it and acknowledge it. Um, that sometimes life is just hard. Life you know, sometimes life sucks and that's okay. Um, what do we do with it? You know, how are we going to move past it? Uh, we can't just pretend like it's all uh, rose colored glasses all the time because for most people it's not, it's not the reality. Yeah. Has your daughter shown any interest? So she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. As a matter of fact, there you go. Yeah. As a matter of fact, she hates it. Um, so for the longest time, hockey is what took mommy and daddy out of the house. And mm. so I think she associated it with that for a long time. Um, we, uh, yeah, we bought her equipment the other day. So this is sort of the year that you would kind of register your kid for hockey. And so she is very much a girly girl and I am very much not. So this is new for me. You know, she's into dance. She's into um, uh, just tutus and makeup and I mean that's all she wants is like makeup for little kids and it's like I don't even where do you get this your mom doesn't even do any of this um but she is her own little person so it is amazing to see now through different eyes mm -hmm. likely what my mom had to go through because 
my mom would have loved to have that little girly girl, um, but she got me. And so she had to drive to the hockey rinks and she had to do all these things that, you know, were, were not what her social circle of friends were doing. Um, so now it's my husband and I have, you know, make a conscious effort to encourage her in what she's doing, um, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, playing pretend unicorn invisible mermaid for the 20th time. Um, you just, you got to just encourage them to be themselves. And what we want to do is expose her to a lot of different things. So we had her playing uh, soccer this past summer here in Mississauga. And, you know, to me, I think she loves the friendships she makes. Um, she loves the ice cream she gets after. <laughs> so whatever it is that gets them being fit and active. And at, at the end of the day, I don't care what it is. Yeah. Um, as long as she finds something that makes her happy and while I would love it to be hockey, uh, right now it's, um, she just, she boxed it every single time, but you know, we'll force her to do it a few times and see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, as, as I'm reading your book, there's, there's a part in it where I think it was the first Olympics. You were the third goalie. Correct. Uh, yeah. Um, and so you're sitting in the press box and I'm reading it, and you don't go on ice for the medal ceremony. And in my head, I go, okay, fine, she's not wearing a uniform. And then I find out, wait a second, you don't, you don't even get a medal. Mm -hmm. um, and then I read somewhere else, they, they, much later in the book. And by the way, I love the way you wrote the book. Oh, thank you. Back and forth, it's, it's really cool. Um, but then I read later in the book about the Canadian Women's Hockey League and like next to no pay and and part of me is to, as i'm finished reading i go this is also like a, a a discussion on women's sports not from the perspective of yes women can play sports but sort of how we treat men's sports versus women's sports or you know men's athletes versus women's athletes you know, I thought, okay, you know, an Olympic team is going, it should be sort of equal on how you, you sort of reward. But even on men's hockey, in your book, you're right. Yeah, the third string goalie actually gets a medal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'm, I, I, I don't know, I, I want to ask, I want to sort of have this discussion on, are we getting better on how women's leagues or women athletes are perceived or how they they are rewarded whether it's everyone gets a medal or whether it's pay um sort of want to get your thoughts on, on where we are these days for sure so um I, one of my friends said the other day um anastasia who's a cbc sports reporter mm. that sports um is a good microscope on society and i think you know in that decade, this really does portray where we as women were in Canadian society. And um, I think we have moved forward for sure. I think every uh, decade, every generation gets a little bit better mm -hmm. um, in terms of striving towards equality. And I just, you know, I think about my lifetime, the Jekylls and, um, that's maybe not the right, Heckles and Jeers, Jekylls. We'll call them Jekylls. Yeah, Jekylls is a good combo. The Jekylls I got. The jeers and the heckles that I got for walking into a rink because I was a girl. Yeah. Um, 
and you know having to deal with that on a constant basis and now you can walk into an arena and see a little girl and it's not even an issue you know she has a hockey bag over her shoulder and that's normalized there's uh, girls hockey leagues there's um you know uh, men that are watching women play at the olympics and are just as excited so we have come a long way and a lot of the guys that i grew up playing with now coach their daughter's teams um they are involved in women's sport and that's really amazing to see now that's not to say that we've gotten to the point where it is equal but i think we can't just suddenly get there we need to continuously make um strides and continue to push the envelope um and generations need to go through the experience of being around women in that situation so what I see now with a lot of the NHL guys is they might have played college hockey at a institution where there was a women's hockey team as well, and they were treated equally at that time. And they have uh, maybe a sister that plays hockey. Maybe their mother played hockey. Sure. Um, these guys are, you know, of a different generation than me. So the acceptance of uh, just female sport in general, I think, is is really making strides. Um, and as we strive towards women professional leagues, uh, like the WNBA, like mm-hmm. soccer, um, softball, um, athletes, uh, unlimited, that is sort of the new women's professional, uh, landscape of women's sports. Um, it is, uh, it's all new. It's all exciting. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done too. And that it doesn't mean that it's going to instantly be done. There's a lot of work that has to be done by, um, you know, everybody in society to lift up women in society in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's still a dis- discrepancy of pay within the workplace. And yeah. once that kind of goes away, I think sport will follow suit as well. Um, I don't know if you remember the Canadian hockey summit that I think it was after the men lost in 1998, it was maybe mm-hmm. in 99 or 2000 Molson hockey summit. And I can remember Vladislav Trechek being on stage and, he uh, at the time was in charge of Russian hockey mm-hmm. and Haley Wickenheiser asked him point blank, you know, why does Russia, because they were terrible at the time, um, yet they were a men's hockey super superpower. Mm-hmm. Why does Russia not put money into women's, into women's hockey? And he just point blank, he said, um, women in my country, they don't want to play hockey. And if that was the perceived mentality, that's why they didn't play hockey because mm-hmm. It's, you know, obviously it's a catch 22 when you don't feel included in something, when you don't feel like you're a part of that society, you're not going to put yourself into that. Um, women's uh, sport tends to mirror the societies that treat women really well, just like my husband, um, who is disabled, uh, the, the uh, countries that do well in disabled sports tend to treat their people with disabilities differently than others. And so you know, in the beginning, the teams that did really well in women's hockey, Scandinavian countries, North American countries, um, even uh, countries like Japan that maybe are not a men's hockey superpower, uh, but treat their women uh, with more reverence than perhaps other countries do, tend to do better. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but I, I think ultimately it has changed. We have progressed and we need to celebrate um, the incredible advancements that we've made but that doesn't mean we need to stop um and mm. there's still some the ground to be made up um but it will and i'm confident that um as every generation fights for a little bit more we will see a little bit more of equality within our society yeah was it 
sometimes I can't read my writing, so correct me if I'm wrong here. <laughs> I'm right was, there with you. Was it almost 30 years ago that Manon Rayon played? Yeah, Tampa so she Bay? played in 92 with Tampa Bay. 92. And I remember that. Um, and and it's, it's been so long. And so I'm, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on, will we ever see a, uh, will we ever see women like on a, on a roster uh, in the NHL? So that's a, that's a very, I guess, loaded question because. In our lifetime. Yeah. Is, is that the direction that women's sport should be going? Or should we be going to a professional league where women have an opportunity to play um, at the highest level and not be compared to their male com- counterparts? Th- you know, those are two very separate issues. Um, yeah. So, you know, whether women can uh, play at that level uh, is, that's a whole other question. And that means that that woman would have to pursue hockey in a different way that is currently the path to get to the Olympic team. So currently the path to the Olympic team is through some of the major universities um, where women's hockey is played um, and would have to pursue a path more similar to recently Shannon Zavados. Um, so Shannon, uh, who won the last two Olympic gold medals as a goaltender, uh, one of the best goalies in, in Canadian history, um, she pursued a pro path, uh, eliminating her from eligibility to play uh, Canadian hockey. So she missed out on certain aspects of the game, but she was at such a level and so good that she could kind of elevate herself to then um, continue on her game within the pro ranks and played in the Southern Men's Professional League. Um, and uh, yeah, had some different opportunities. But she had to make some real sacrifices at an early age. She was, uh, she played a game with the Tri City Americans. Um, which ruined her college eligibility, but she was 16 at the time, you know, so you got to make these decisions early um, without knowing what the future really holds. So, um, you know, will, will we see a woman in the NHL uh, soon? I, I just don't think that that's the way that um, will elevate all of women's sport. Uh, I think the way to encourage women, um, and have equality is to be able to have the same money available to a women's professional league and not just to one person. We tend to get elevated to a higher level as women when we compete against men. So um, most uh, men will know Haley Wickenheiser because she played in a men's league. Most men will know Menoreum because she played in a men's league. Um, But, you know, people might not have known the name Jane Hefford as well before she entered into the hall of fame because she only played women's hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet she was on par with Haley Wickenheiser. Um, and so there's just, that tends to be a societal um, issue. I think that, you know, well, they're, they're breaking the barriers and they're the pioneers. Well, to me they are, but there are also an incredible amount of people breaking barriers and pioneers within our game as well that have pushed the envelope to create these professional leagues that we do have. Wow. That is, I never thought of that, whether, you know, how you focus on the different paths and yeah, whether, yeah, that's really great, great, uh, great thing to think about. Um, I have like a, so many questions, <laughs> but I know uh, I, I don't have all the time in the world with you. Um, people should definitely get your book. 
Oh, the thank you. Played Canada's greatest Olympic hockey team, written by Sammy Joe Small. Um, Sammy, one one last question for you. Um, not too long ago, um, he was also a guest on the podcast, but I, I, I read Sean Fitzgerald's book, recent book. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Before the Lights Go Out, um, which was, you know, almost a, okay, hockey's is, is going, you know, basketball is here, you know, mm-hmm. traveling less and less. Um, how do we save it? Um, and then you end your book off with, Women's hockey has never been more popular. Things. So I wanted to ask you, you know, where, and specific to hockey, where, where is hockey? Is it, is, is Sean Fitzgerald's version of hockey, I guess, focusing on the, the big picture of hockey and, and mainly boys slash men's hockey, different from where women's hockey is going? Well, tell me your thoughts. Well, interesting. I just did a book festival yesterday with Sean. Um, And, you know, I think that while we are the same age, essentially, we come at, uh, I think, just life in general from different perspectives, you know. So, um, you know, is hockey going through everything that he said in his book? Yes. And I loved his book because it really does uh, shed huge light on um, the lack of inclusivity in hockey, the um, perhaps direction that it has become very elitist within this country, the expense of it. Um, And I'm even finding that just with registering my daughter for hockey, you know, the decisions you have to make, uh, which organization you join, um, those have lifelong ramifications and they shouldn't, she's four, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have any of that. So um, there's a lot of things that I think that he brings to light that should be changed about hockey for sure. But I think what hockey to me served its purpose as an outlet for play. And Mm. while this book is about hockey, I don't think kids have to play hockey, but I think they have to play. I think they have to play something and it doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter what is offered in your community. And if hockey numbers are dwindling, well, let's put that money into something else that kids want to do, you know, and that's okay. It, you know, Mm. I think that it ebbs and flows with um, society and with what, kids are wanting to do, but let's get them up off the couches, uh, not playing video games and get them out there playing with their friends in situations. And if it means we need to put an extra skate park in the community, awesome. If we Mm -hmm. need to build a giant mega cricket field, like what's going on in uh, Brampton, that's what we got to do, you know? And if we um, have to build more rinks so that ice time becomes cheaper, then that's what we do. But I think that that's um, up to the taxpayers to really um, encourage their uh, elected officials to make those decisions for them. Let's mm-hmm. not uh, assume everybody wants to play hockey. Um, let's put the money where people want to play. And I think hockey is an amazing game. It teaches you so many life lessons. Um, and for me, it um, was an incredible experience, an incredible journey. But I'm not um, so privileged to think that that's the only way that there are so many different ways uh, to ultimately, I mean, what is sport for in Canadian society and culture, but to keep us fit and active and healthy citizens Mm -hmm. and whatever that happens to be, however that happens to be, um, let's encourage not just, um, you know, sport at the highest level, but sport and um, fitness at grassroots level as well. Yeah. And I think these, the past, 
six, seven months have, uh, have made parents especially sort of realize my kid needs to be active. My kid needs yeah, or they're going to gonna drive me bonkers at the house, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is no why, <laughs> exactly, like they took gym classes out and the people are like, oh, that's fine. You don't need gym class. But the poor teachers that had to deal with these kids going bonkers, we now know what it's like at home, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, Sammy, please tell, where, where can people uh, buy the book and, and how can they keep in touch with what you're up to these days? For sure. So, um, you can buy the book basically anywhere you buy your local books, whether it's online, Amazon, um, McNally Robinson, Indigo chapters, uh, everywhere hopefully we'll have it. it. The official book launch is September 29th, which is when it should be in stores um, and available in stores. However, I have seen on social media that people have picked it up in stores across the country already. So it seems to be there. It seems to be shipping out to people. So just uh, search Sammy Joe Small. There's not too many other ones of them. And you can find out where to get it and read all about uh, the journey and my teammates as well. And uh, my handle on most social media platforms is uh, Sammy Joe Small, which is S-A-M-I-J-O. Uh, um, and yeah, I would love to hear from uh, not just hockey fans, but fans of sport in general. And, um, you know, how can we uh, as a society really elevate these women in this book, um, but women in general and um, maybe uh, minority groups that haven't always had access to sport. How can we get them involved and um, keep our whole society and communities health, ha happy and healthy? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sammy, this has been wonderful. This has been a privilege speaking with you. Um, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Kareem. I really appreciate it. Thank you.